This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So uh, most actors get lightning in the bottle once when it comes to TV shows. You've had two, Arrested Development and Transparent, of course. How does it... Uh, do you, the Larry Sanders show? And the Larry Sanders show, of course. How much, light, how much lightning can you get? So as an actor, do you, uh, do you really enjoy kind of being able to dive into a show, especially when there's only like a certain amount of episodes per season? You, you can really kind of focus on the character and develop it? Uh, I think streaming is very, very... I mean, the stories are, are certainly being told on... on uh, as uh, Patton said at the opening, this is the time now for writers and uh, uh, actors. It's a real renaissance because there are so many venues... I'm not answering your question, but uh, there, are so, there are so many venues, uh, uh, and it's a real, real interesting time. Now, when you first uh, read the script for Transparent, did you initially I threw say... myself at Jill. I just said, yes, 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 yes. She couldn't get an, uh, a word in edgewise, because I, I knew it was a great character. I knew it was a... Uh, she's so talented. Uh, the, the writers are here tonight, and I have to hurry back to my table, because I think they're up for an award. Uh, and so, you know... We all know, um, as Shakespeare said, he didn't say this, but if it, ain't, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage, and that's true. So writers are the deal. All right. Thank you so much. We'll let you get back to the show. I really appreciate it. Was my... teacher? <laughs> you were saying off camera that he wasn't so hot. Yeah. <laughs>
it's incredibly rewarding. And very, I feel very lucky, of course. It came out of nowhere. Uh, but it's really a challenge. Um, there's a lot to learn and a lot to focus on. And it's, I take it very seriously. But, you know, it's very rewarding. And it's amazing that they trust me with the uh, moments that they give me. Was there anything you were, what, did you feel any restrictions? Uh, as, you know, or could you tie to the original series? Or you be able to, you know, we oh, can just no. do a different story. I mean, the character I played in Breaking Bad was... He was a facade, and he presented himself that way. He said, when the first scene you meet him, this isn't really who I am. So uh, there was no exploration of him outside of that. So we had a lot of leeway to create who he actually was. Uh, and obviously, a lot of the crew came over with you. Oh, my God. How, how has that been for you, be able to transition, knowing that you have a lot of the same teammates on it's your side? Been, it's the best. Having the crew... Probably 80% Breaking Bad, and the writers probably 80% Breaking Bad. Everything goes faster. Everyone understands what they're doing and the seriousness that we approach it with. And I think, too, um, everyone gives more knowing that the people creating this, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, care so much. It makes you want to work harder because you know they're going to make something great out of it. Thank you so much. So, uh, well, going back last week, how did you feel about you know Alejandro winning back-to-back years? Um, I thought it's pretty impressive. Um, I uh, did not predict it, but I you know try to avoid predicting at the DJ Awards. Uh, but I was really glad for him because I think when you're talking about directorial achievement and especially outstanding directorial achievement, there's a lot of directing that went on in that. Even in the clips that they showed in the events, you could see how much you know intensity, work, planning. Yeah, it was just awesome. Yeah, for me, it's such a nonverbal film. It must have been really difficult for the director to work with the cinematographer. Because that's really almost a cinematographer film. And apparently he was very disturbed by the lack of snow. And that extended the budget quite a bit. And they had to keep traveling to different places in search of the right conditions. And the DP only wanted to shoot a few hours a day. So they had this little window of time, which is why the light of that movie looks so magnificent. So that's a lot of work. I mean, not only nominated films, but I was very impressed with Creed. How are you feeling about like Ryan Coogler and now the younger batch of filmmakers are really coming up pretty strong? I'm pretty excited about it. I was really excited. Uh, I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've talked to a couple people who have. But um, my, you know, the Birth of a Nation film that will be coming out next year, there's a lot of buzz about. And we are happy to have Nate Parker come and join us at the DGA Awards to acknowledge that he's you know, one of those voices on the rise. Yeah, I mean, he produced it, acted it, and starred in it, directed it. I think he did the catering. Is this something you're thinking now with the technology? The camera technology is becoming amazing but cheap. Maybe there's now more hope for a writer, producer, director, someone being able to do these type of films, which they couldn't do 10 years ago. Absolutely. I'm telling all the young people, you have no excuse not to make a movie. You used to have to get a crew. You used to have to buy film. You used to have to get the film developed. You don't have to do that anymore. You know, As long as you have an iPhone and you know that little iMovie app, you can start making movies today. Is that your advice to the young students? Just go out and keep making them? I say do the same thing Steven Spielberg did, making 8mm films in his backyard. You start now, you keep making them. Every time you make a film, you're going to learn something, and then build from there. Thank you, Paris. Thanks. Let's see you. All right, so you have a script with Bank Derivatives and Breaking the Fourth Wall. Yes. You're doing every screenwriting no-no. How'd you pull it off? <laughs> I think precisely because we broke the rules, people were thrilled by it. I also think it's a truth a lot of people wanted to hear. You know, we all went through this tragedy 
I think our news didn't do the best job of explaining it, so people were kind of thrilled to actually hear this info. Since you were writer-director, when you were writing the script, did you focus just on the writing at the time and then want to move to directing after? Or you keep saying to yourself, oh, i got to direct the scene, so you're thinking both. Yeah, they're interconnected. It, it's, there's no separation. I'm always thinking about the cast. I'm thinking about the shot, what I'm going to do when I direct. I mean, part of what fuels me as a writer is that everything I'm writing can become a reality. Uh, you know, I've done rewrites for other people where I sort of hope to lead them where they want to direct it. But there's nothing more satisfying than writing something you, you, you know, hope you're going to direct. Thank you so much, and good luck tonight. Good luck. So these are my student crew, Andre's uh, crew. Where you guys from? UC Santa Barbara. So uh, how, how excited are you for your collaborator, Adam McKay, tonight? Isn't it wonderful? It's so amazing. I love what's happening. Yeah. Now, for you, I mean, uh, what is the process of working together on Anchorman? It's not a traditional film. How collaborative it is? It is something more special than your normal director telling you what to do. Right. Well, you know, there's still that. I mean, they've written, always written an amazing dynamic script. The only difference is he'll let us improvise after we have it in the can. So once we know we've got a couple of takes, then we can take our own shots at it. Uh, and how fun was revisiting with Anchorman 2 uh, uh, 10 years later? It was really special. It really was because you knew you'd been part of something that was wonderful once, and to get an opportunity to work with that same exact group of people again was really unique and special. Thanks so much, and good luck tonight. Good luck tonight. Thank you. So you basically wrote this. I was eight years old. You terrified me. I remember there were sharks in my backyard. Uh, how does it feel still scaring people even to this day? You never know when you make a movie what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's a hit, the audience tells us. So at the time, it was a job. You know, happy to have it, happy to make a movie, happy to have it come out. And 40 years later, everybody I've ever met, when they learned that I had something to do with that movie... They say, you know, because of you, I didn't go in the water for a year or five. I don't go to my swimming pool. I don't go. I mean, just the varieties of shunning swimming are amazing. As a, as a screenplay, how challenging was having a villain, you know, obviously hidden from most of the movie, and also an ensemble cast, balancing the ensemble cast and balancing the villain unseen? It was, it was great. I mean, we had to keep the villain unseen because the shark wasn't working perfectly. So uh, Stephen and I were both aware of a movie called The Thing, an original black and white thriller, in which you didn't see the creature until quite late. And we said, you know, let's just show how terrible the creature is without showing the creature. And you know, we had a great cast and great special effects, and we managed to get all the threat in. And for a horror film, which Jaws at some level is, there's surprisingly little gore and bloodshed. You know, five victims total, I think. And how'd you feel with the cast? I mean, you've got three superstars, amazing actors. Superstars and some great supporting actors. The level of humanity in those performances, I think, is what made the movie a classic. Is You don't have any sense of actors. Nobody's acting. Everybody is simply being, which is what the actor's goal is. They're just completely believable human beings. Even outsized characters like Quint, Robert Shaw's character, are still, you know, human uh, vulnerable and, you know, at risk. And, of course, you wrote another film, I'm assuming it gets most awesome quoted to you, The Jerk. 
<laughs> How was that? Was that slightly different creative screenwriting process? Completely different. First of all, I well, I had a collaborator named Steve. <laughs> you know, right, that I was uh, serving, and and that was great fun because Steve Martin and I had worked in television together, and it was a great opportunity to do a movie. It was his first, my third, and once again. You're flying by the seat of our pants, you know, just, you know, well, we have to write a movie. What should it be about? I don't know. And, you know, well, I, Steve said, there's a line in my act that always gets a laugh when I say I was born a poor black child. And I said, well, what, you know, what if we go with that? And out of that, the movie evolved. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So question for you. Uh, so obviously your background, I'm assuming, inspired you to write this, create this story. What the heck happened in college? <laughs> <laughs> the dance world is not all glamour. That's all I can say. Uh, so obviously coming from Breaking Bad, that certainly helped prepare you for this. How did that experience lead you to this path? Uh, so many ways. I mean, Vince Gilligan is my mentor, and we had great opportunities on that show as writers because we got to produce all of our episodes, and so we were way deep. And deeply entrenched in all the work that happened so that it prepares you for when you're show running your own show. Um, and then the work ethic on Breaking Bad and the way we broke story in the room with such detail was something that I took with me into Flesh and Bone. Uh, we have a lot of uh, women actually in our crew, uh, want aspiring screenwriters. Any advice you can give? Because the diversity and gender thing is still coming up. Still coming up. What do you advise, especially for the younger graph? Women are still a diversity hire, which is. So, uh, I was going to swear, but I won't. You can. Um, so, my advice would be, uh, don't expect any less. Um, don't let people tell you that you've got to write like a guy, because I don't know what that means. Um, and, and tell your stories and, ex and expect, um, expect to have a career full of possibility and respect. It seems like TV, the door's opening more. Than even for features. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think TV has a bit more balance and more ranks with which to fill. Like certainly, just speaking as a writer, I, I think it would be insane to have a show uh, about human beings that didn't have two genders. Like it just wouldn't make any sense to have a bunch of white guys sitting in a room in a show that takes place in the world. So you know, times are changing and. You know, I mean, I, I can write Walter White and I can write Skylar White easily, and I do have a female perspective on those interactions and those relationships. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My guys, well, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, ten years of Friends is pretty amazing. How did you feel? Uh, uh, how did you feel it grew from the first season to the last season? Is that from the writing point of view? You know. Uh, a TV show is like having a child, and you give birth, and then, and then you have to take care of it and encourage it and let it be what it is. You can't get in the way of that. It's sort of after a while, it tells you what it is, and then, you know, 10 years is up, and they go away to college. <laughs> Speaking of college, we actually teach uh, friends. Last, yes, we teach. We, we had them shoot a sitcom scene yesterday. <laughs> so a very popular show. Uh, obviously, over ten years, you had you had a lot of the same writers, cast, crew. How is important is that over a ten year period having the same team together? Doing doing a TV show is like being married. 
you you're with these characters for years and years and years and you're with your crew and it's a family as opposed you know you do a movie it's a couple months and you're done a tv show you're putting together a collaborative group and everybody knows everybody's strengths and everybody knows the weaknesses and we all are there for each other and we all have one vision and it's ex that we had people who were there for all 10 years plus the pilot was one of the things we were most proud of uh, so uh <laughs> Why do you think Friends has endured so well? I mean, it did transfer the next generation. Younger people are now getting into it with Netflix and on TV. What do you think is about Friends that really connects multi-generational? Besides luck? <laughs> you know, everybody understands that time in your life when you're just stepping into independence and trying to figure out who you are and what you want and who you want to be. And I think it's universal. Plus... They like the characters. They want them to come into their homes. They want to be friends with them and have a drink with them. So, Thank you so much. When you first read the script, what was your biggest fear or excitement? That it was Star Wars. <laughs> and it was Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same thing we were, we were startled by when we heard we were going to be doing it. No, the script was terrific. I mean, you could tell it was going to work and be fun and be great. Right. And, and a lot of humor and, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of adventure. So we were, we were excited. Very excited. And then when we met Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, we were like, and Oscar Isaac, it was like, no brainer. It was going to be great. Now, for you, for the look of it, on film, how did that for you when you were looking in the editing room, uh, did it look for you just the fact that it was shot on film? Oh, my God. It was absolutely beautiful. I mean, the first 10 days were shot in Abu Dhabi, so the light and the desert and the vastness and the bigness was just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it couldn't have been captured more beautifully. So we were very excited. And film just has a look that it's alive, it breathes, it doesn't have that static look that um, the digital camera gives, gives an image. So we love, we love the fact that J.J. always shoots on film. And the final question, Star Wars has the classic wipes, those wipe edits. So how did you decide what would you use or not use for this one? We, um, well, as far as the wipes go, we knew that we were going to use them. As J.J. said, it was Star Wars and we had to use them. We should use them. But... In terms of which ones we used, we just would try a bunch of different ones and see which ones looked the best for when we had decided we were going to use a wipe transition. And so you just would sort of sample them and say, well, this one looks really cool with these two images. And so just kind of process of elimination. You know. And sometimes we would try one and, you know, every now and then, and JJ would say, that was, you know, they never used that one. I was like, yeah, they did. <laughs> So we'd pull up the original film, and you'd be amazed how many different wipes they, you know, style of wipes there were, diamond shapes, circle shapes. So we had a we had a good time with it. It was really fun. The one thing that was interesting was they were much, the, the wipes were much shorter duration in the original films, but we kind of liked them a little slower, so we, we, we did it that way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So when you first read episode seven, Under Secrecy on the NSA, uh, what was your first reaction? Um, that it was terrifying. <laughs> it's enormous. Um, it, 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 it was a very early script, and the script changed quite a lot. 
Um, but it was enough to give us, I think, an impression of what we, you know, if we were going to commit to doing the practical effects for the movie in this particular case, um, what, what some of the scope might be. And so, yeah, it was, um, uh, it was exciting, but it was also terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so what about the decision to shoot on film? That must have been a very interesting challenge for you, going back to some of the roots of visual effects. It's just, it's just fantastic that they shot on film, and I just think it, the, the quality that the film gives to you is... is you know, that there's a quality as well, which is the purring of the camera. That, you know, there's a thing about loading the magazine. There's a thing about knowing that the time that you've got is limited. Whereas digitally, you can shoot for as long as you want. You know, in a sense, as long as there's, there's, there's memory in the, in, 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 in the stories, you can keep going. But on film, a take's a take. So it's, it, it was wonderful because it, it gives a feeling not only, I think, just to the movie-making process, um, which is when, you, when you're filming, but obviously it gives a visual, a visual beauty as well. So, yeah. It must be also a big help for the actors knowing that they have a mechanical set, they have a real set, yeah. real visual. Obviously, you have some CGI, you have no choice, but even working together is more a collaborative process for you with the film? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you take anything like BB-8, for instance, you know, BB-8's there pretty well most of the time, and, you know, Daisy could, and all the, all the cast could relate to that. There's a puppeteer that's articulating BB-8's noises as we, as we knew them at the time, and so you get this real synergy happening, and that's the same for all of the characters. You know, in Mass's Castle, it was full of, I mean, there was nearly 40, 50 creatures in there all of the time so when you walked into it you were kind of walking into this real world environment it was Maz's world and uh, you know there were there were money lenders there were all kinds of crazy characters in there I remember there were some puppets that were on tables and the guys underneath were operating them and uh, not only the cast but the extras as well completely forgot about the fact that actually there were people under the table and they just started to relate to the puppets <laughs> and I sort of stood back at one point and thought this is madness isn't it this is <laughs> but it's fantastic it gives, you know, it gives everybody a chance not to sort of see them as special effects but to see, see it as a world and then just move around with a camera and just direct it the same way as you would any other sequence in the film now uh, we're not going to give away the plot point for the four people in the world that has not seen Star Wars how difficult was it for you, from your point of view, the scene, Han Solo's climax scene? Let's say his resolution. How was that for you? Well, we all made a promise, and we, we all decided that on that day we wouldn't, we wouldn't go onto the set. So we didn't, we didn't want to sort of spoil anything for ourselves either. So uh, there was a minimum, minimum attendance, and um, you know, we knew that you know, there was a sequence going on, and uh, it was fantastic. So uh, I saw that for the first time when I went to see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I know you get fired if you answer this question, but will you confirm that Ray's the daughter of Jar Jar Binks? We have no idea what the race is doing wrong. But you're sure but, it's not Jar Jar? I'm sure it's not Jar Jar, but I can't confirm one way or the other. <laughs>
to other people. So it's nice to be able to be like, oh, I don't know about like this bit. I don't know if I do like this differently because now I have the benefit of hindsight and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, Ryan has done an incredible job and I'm very excited to continue filming. Final quick one. Uh, how was it sitting at the end of episode seven in the captain's chair of the Millennium Falcon? In the captain's chair. Well, you know, I'd already accidentally gone in when Harrison was there and he was like, that's my chair. So I'd already kind of embarrassed myself. It felt, do you know what? It was very emotional because obviously like the reason I was in the captain's chair. Um, but, but on screen, it was nice that it was like the start of a new adventure. Thank you so much for interviewing us. Thank you. Thank you. So question, so you're, you're, you're going to script phase. What was your biggest fear or challenge when you first sat down trying to lay out the story for episode seven? Uh, well, you know, we knew how important this saga was to so many people. We knew that it was bigger than all of us, even Lawrence Kasdan, with whom I was writing the script. The most important thing for us was that we do something that felt worthy of uh, the, the characters and the world that... Uh, people the camera right next to me it's right there <laughs> I just want to get hit by the camera um, that the, the, the story be worthy of, of not just the characters but the audience that had such expectations now as a director you decided to go film go old school how did that affect you on the set was that was something you really want to insist on or you needed to feel it feel that on set well I, I I've only shot on film, and I knew that for this one it was really important, especially because, for one, I wanted it to feel like the original films as much as possible. And secondly, shooting on film created a standard, uh, a look, that all the visual effects, which, of which there were going to be many, would have to adhere to. Uh, and Dan Mendel, the DP, uh, is a spectacular uh, uh, artist and, and filmmaker, and he is wonderful with film and, and knows more than, than anyone I know uh, how to get the look you want. Final question. Uh, Han Solo's final fate. When did you arrive at that in the story process? Did you always know what was going to happen with him or did that kind of evolve over while you were developing the story? The idea came up very early on and it was something that we all felt was very dangerous, relatively speaking. Uh, but also, in a way... Uh, it was, it was the right move because it helped establish Kylo Ren as the, the villain that we, we needed. And it was a personal story. And it, it felt like, it's funny, Harrison often talks about his desire to have Han Solo have utility. And it, it provided a utility. We didn't look at it that way. We looked at it in a way that we knew would be devastating for fans of the series and certainly the character. And I hated shooting that day. I hated shooting that scene. But it was also that it was that kind of I hated it because I knew we needed to feel something that was consequential, and this felt like the thing to do. Well, I want to thank you for giving me back my childhood and that feeling of just the excitement of seeing Star Wars. Oh, thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Thank you. So you have a script that has a child that has to carry the movie. Yes. Uh, you're stuck in a room. And you even throw in a dog. It's too hot. There's a first act and a second act with a tiny little bit in the middle. I know. It's not exactly a Robert McKee kind of cookie cutter. No, yeah. So what was your biggest challenge when you first read the script? As a director thinking, oh my God, what am I, I going to do? It was the novel I read first. And, and I, what I'm, I, I was sort of able to imagine what I thought 
you know, there was enough of a gut feeling about it that I felt like I can taste it, so, so it's there somewhere. But I think the thing that I was most, in a way, more than shooting in the small room, it was how do you get an audience to continue to really be compelled by a film after the big dramatic event in the middle, which is normally the end of the film. That was the biggest challenge. Now, obviously, working with Jacob is a challenge itself. He does... A lot. Of, I think it's the greatest performance ever done by anybody, personally. Uh, how did you? What was the process of working with him? Because he was a, utterly amazing. It was the most intense, rewarding, frustrating, transforma transformative working relationship I've had. It was. It was like I, I felt I had to use every sort of thing I've ever learned about directing to find ways of helping Jake to understand what was happening in a way that was appropriate for him, to give him clues as to how it would feel uh, without, sort of, you know, given the limited experiences of the world that a child has had already. You can't talk in a macro way about a film like Room with a Child. So the way I talk about it is that with an adult actor, you kind of you talk about the whole picture. With a, with a child, you go and you work on the individual brushstrokes, and then you, you hope that that when you step back that that will look like one complete thing and it, it, we worked all of us you know Emma me Bree was so involved in that work with Jake and Jake himself also happens to be a genius child um, so without without that we could no matter how hard we worked we wouldn't have been able to get that performance how excited are you for for Bree Larson she is considered the front runner how, how excited will you be for her that she's getting the recognition that you know she really long deserved from a lot of other films it's probably the thing that gives me most pleasure out of this whole thing is knowing that this is the film that brings Brie the recognition that she deserves because she's a superb once-in-a-generation actor, I think. And she, of course, had done good work, but some of her best work hadn't really been seen, like in Short Term 12. More people needed to have seen that. And then a lot of the time she was just... Actually, she did brilliant things, but you know she was in small roles. So, yeah, this is a very satisfying moment for me to see that she's she's being regarded in the way she should be. So it's been a great run. I mean, you got nominated for Writers Guild, Oscar, and of course, I would say greatest honor coming to UC Santa Barbara for our show. How has this red carpet run been for you? Uh, you know, the run has been terrific, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, there are some very memorable Q&As like the one I did up uh, for you guys. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, I think uh, that's probably the longest I've had to talk. So I was amazed that I actually had enough to say. But, you know, it's really uh, exciting to talk to students, right? And, uh, and I know there were a lot more people in the audience than students, but it's really nice to talk to a room full of students. And I think, as I said that day, I feel like this issue of abuse is one that we haven't been particularly good at talking about uh, as a society. Um, but I feel like, as I said at the end of the day, this group of this group of students, this generation, that's able to talk about things like transgender in a way that we couldn't have 20 years ago, maybe they're the ones who can actually talk about abuse and really put it out into the open, especially, you know, the kind of abuse that we see hidden by institutions, you know, like the church. Yeah, one of the things my students came up there to me, they were inspired almost to say, like, they can write their story. They're, the things that they were afraid to possibly write. Is that something you're hoping for? Now the younger writers will say, you know what? We can tackle a story equivalent to this and, you know, different for their point of view. Yeah, I think we're all, you know, look, I mean, to me, I hope that there are more of these stories because they're the stories I love to tell. And when they succeed, right, when they connect with an audience, that gives the studio the, you know, the... Uh, it gives the studio the uh, strength, the, the confidence to make more of them. 
And so, you know, to me, I've always wanted to make stories that will inspire talk, dialogue, conversation. Um, and I hope that plenty of your students come and start doing that down here in L.A. Thanks so much. Good luck to Dawson. All right, so you wore both hats, of course, writer and director. So when you were first writing the script, were you just focusing on the script, or were you thinking about, oh, my gosh, i got to shoot this? No, usually it's two hats. You start writer, writer, writer. I'm always in the back of my head looking at it as a director, thinking about it as a director. But there comes a point where I put my director hat on and stop thinking about the script as a screenplay, but as a device to get where I need to go. Uh, the scene that Josh talked about the most, and it was one that struck me, was the scene when Rachel... Uh, confronts the priest, I mean, in the door, and he admits to molestation so freely and her ex exhilaration of capturing the story yeah. and her horror of what it was said. Yeah. How did you approach working on that scene with Rachel in general? You know, it was just having her, you know, look, at that point of the produ uh, production, she was so locked into this character and it was just being present, trying not to show her cards, uh, having moments of surprise and then working very hard to cover on that. and. And, and just listening, and I think Rachel is a great actress and a great listener, which is a big part of it. And of course, it, an ensemble piece, how did you balance all the different characters, giving them their storyline? Did you have to cut some of Little sometimes? or Little bits, but not really. I think we did a pretty good job on the script. I think it's very representative of what you see on the screen, and you know, then you just cast the hell out of the movie, which I think we did, and we've got a very good group of actors to come on board and play and, uh, and be very generous uh, with their time and talents, and I think it shows in the film. Terrific film. Good luck tonight and the Oscars. Thanks so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.